by the occult and Satanists for literally hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. Because it's the opposite of Jesus. A cross is seen as a symbol of Jesus Christ. And when you flip it, it's the opposite of Him. False Messiah. And that's why that symbol has been used. Now when you do a search, if you do an internet search for Antichrist, the vast majority of images that are going to come up are always going to be evil, dark, occultic, demonic, satanic, horns, pointy tail. Yeah. Can I tell you something? If that's what you're looking for when Antichrist comes, you aren't going to find it. Because the truth is, when he comes, he's going to have both superior looks, superior social skills, and near genius intelligence. He will not appear evil at all. Instead, he is going to seem to be the smartest, holiest man you've ever seen. That's how Antichrist is going to be. Oh, he's going to be controlled by someone, but you're not going to see it. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of darkness in high places. You're not going to see it. For millennia, the world has looked for a coming world leader, and not just Christianity either. When the false Messiah comes, the world is going to welcome him. I mean, they're going to roll out the red carpet. They are so glad. No more wars. Yes, we're going to have peace in this world. Peace on earth, goodwill toward men. He said he would return, and he did. And there, this guy's going to claim to be Jesus' return. And listen, all religions are looking forward to this guy. For instance, the Jews and Christians refer to him as Messiah. The Muslims call him the Mahdi. The Zoroastrians call him the great Saushant. Down in Africa, the large tribes there call him the Ngaioli. The Buddhists call him the great Maitreya. The Hindus call him the Kalki. The tribal groups of Indonesia refer to him as the Ratu Adil. The aboriginals call him the great Bayami. The Taoists, the Taoists, and the Confucianists refer to him as the Lihong. The Japanese refer to him as the Kamikyo, the man who is God. The Baha'i faith calls him the great Baha'u'llah. The Eastern Indians and Plains Indians refer to him as the Wakantanka. The Western Indians and Northern Indians refer to him as the Pahana. The Maya called him the Bolinyakte. The Aztecs called him the Quetzalcoatl. And the Incas referred to him as the Pacachuti. But all the religions and people groups of the world are looking for some great messianic human to come who is an incarnation and manifestation of the God or gods and he is going to bring world peace. They're going to roll the red carpet out for this guy. You think he doesn't know that they've been looking for a guy like him? Oh, he knows. Now, he has many titles in the Bible, too. In the book of Daniel, Daniel calls him three different things. He calls him the little horn. We'll read about that in a moment. He's called the king of fierce countenance, and he's called the prince that shall come in chapter number 9. 
In the book of 1 John, John calls it there, and this isn't the only place, but in 1 John he's referred to as the Antichrist. In the Gospel of John, he is called another or the other, and he's also in chapter 17 called the evil. The evil, or sometimes referred to as the evil one. And then, in the book of 2 Thessalonians, the Apostle Paul refers to him in three different ways in that short chapter. He calls him the man of sin, the son of perdition, and that wicked. And then he is called the beast in the book of Revelation several times and in other places in the Word of God as well. Some say he's already come. Or he's already with us today. Here, let me show you a few that have been nominated as the Antichrist. Probably the first one that was ever called the Antichrist was Nero Caesar. The prophet Muhammad was called the Antichrist. Martin Luther, guess who called him the Antichrist? Yeah, there you go, Catholic Church. Henry VIII, he may have been called that by his wives. Okay, I'm not sure. I don't know if the eighth stands for the eighth wife. I, I think it's something else in there, okay? But uh, King George III, guess who called him Antichrist? Americans, colonists. Napoleon Bonaparte, Abraham Lincoln, guess who called him the Antichrist? CSA, amen? All right. Kaiser Wilhelm II was called Antichrist. Whoop, go back. Benito Mussolini. Il Duce. Il Duce in Italian means the same thing as der Führer in German. It means the leader. Il Duce and der Führer, Adolf Hitler as was called Antichrist. Nikita Khrushchev was referred to as the Antichrist. This guy was called the Antichrist when I first got saved. They said, you better watch this guy. Pope John Paul II was called the Antichrist. Ronald Wilson Reagan was called the Antichrist. Prince Charles, really? Really? I'm even willing to give the Antichrist more credit. Okay, but anyway, let be that as it may. Bill Clinton. Hey, don't say amen. I heard that. Barack Obama. Hush. Shh. Okay. Mahmoud Ahmadinejad was called the Antichrist. Benjamin Netanyahu has been called the Antichrist. I got my eye on this guy, and I'm serious. I am watching this guy. Antonis Samaras, he's the peacemaker for the European Union. He travels all over the world, forms treaties. He goes to every single nation of the European Union. Very active out there, but nobody knows about him. But anyway, and Prince William has been called the Antichrist. And guess who the latest is? Anyone? Yeah. Can I tell you something, folks? They're all wrong. Nearly all historical and contemporary attempts to identify the Antichrist are expressed from some dislike for the person or high political figure instead of the Word of God. They just don't like the guy. So they say, he must be the Antichrist. Well, you could throw that label around, but it doesn't mean that the man is. His actual moment to be revealed will be during or shortly after the dust settles from World War III. We already discussed World War III and the destruction of Russia and uh, their cohorts. 
and Israel has defeated every single one of them. And finally, there's a, there's a chance where Israel's not got, doesn't have a sea of red surrounding them, breathing down their neck. And so the New World Order is going to sign a peace treaty with Israel, allowing them, uh, it's going to be a seven-year peace treaty. Now, we don't know the identity of Antichrist, but I want you to know the Bible is very clear about his character. Very clear about his character. So let's expose the Antichrist tonight. What will he be like? What precedes his coming? And what follows him after he has taken power? First of all, who is the power behind Antichrist? We're already told. Turn to the book of Revelation. Go to chapter 13. There are other passages that should be read as well. But again, time is always, a, always my enemy. Beginning in verse number 13, or chapter 13, I'm sorry, verse number 1. John says, I stood upon the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns. And upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name blasphemy. And the beast which I saw was like unto a leopard, and his feet like unto the feet of a bear in his mouth as the mouth of a lion and who gave him his power the dragon gave him his power and his seat that is his position and great authority the dragon gave him his power now notice three animals are drawn on here leopard bear Lion. These are the same creatures that Daniel saw in chapter 7. If you read Daniel chapter 7, these are the exact same creatures he saw come up out of the sea. First there came up a lion, then there came up a bear, and then there came up a leopard. And then there came up a diverse or mixed beast, which was a mixture of all three of the predecessors. It's exactly the same beast. Daniel saw exactly the same creature come out. The fourth beast that came out of the sea is the exact same one we just read about. And he wondered after it, which means he wanted answers. What is this fourth beast that rises up that is a part of and a piece of all the other kingdoms that came before it? Well, we know the Bible says the great red dragon is the one. In chapter number 12, it adds the color red. Here it says the dragon gave his power, but in chapter 12, it calls him the great red dragon. Go back one page to Revelation chapter number 12 and notice what it says. It says in verse number 9, it says, and the great dragon was cast out, that is, cast out of heaven, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the world. He was cast out to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him, that is, his demons. He's also called the devil, Satan, and in Ezekiel chapter 28, he's called the covering cherub, or the anointed cherub that covereth. That was his position before he fell into sin. Let's turn now to Daniel chapter number 7. Daniel chapter 7. Go back to the Old Testament. He is the fourth of the major prophets. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel. Chapter number 7, where the beasts come up out of the sea. But we can't focus on that tonight. Time not, is not permitting. So we're just going to look at verse number 8. I want you to see that he's called the little horn in verse number 8. 
It says, and he's looking at that fourth beast that's got the seven heads and ten horns. And he says in verse 8, And I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another little horn, before whom there were, there were three of the first horns plucked up by the roots, that is, they joined together to form a single unit. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man, and mouth, and a mouth speaking great things. And then go on, let's read verses 9 through 14. Same chapter, or go to chapter 8 rather, I'm sorry, chapter 8. Now look at verses 9 through 14. And I beheld till thrones were cast down, and the Ancient of Days did sit, whose garment was white as snow, and the hairs of his head like wool, and his throne was like a fiery flame, and his wheels as burning fire, a fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. A thousands of thousands ministered unto him. This is when Christ takes his throne at the end of the tribulation. And 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him and judgment was set and the books were opened. I beheld and behold a voice of great words which the horn spake. I beheld even till the beast was slain and his body destroyed and given to the burning flame. And as I considered the rest of the beasts, they had their dominion taken away. And yet their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. And I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven and came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. And there was given unto him dominion and glory and a kingdom. Man, this is what our singers sang tonight, amen? And all people and nations and languages should serve him. This is what Brother Felix, he, he recited that tonight as he read the scripture. And his dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away in his kingdom, that which shall not be destroyed. Someday the Antichrist is going to have to answer to the true Christ. Now he rises up out of the sea. Now what exactly does that mean? Well, every aspect of the beast, remember how he was described? Seven heads, ten horns, all that stuff. Okay, every aspect of this beast in his appearance, rising out of the sea, that means something. The number of his heads, that means something. His horns, that means something. His crowns, that means something. His mouth, they're all symbols of his kingdom, his character, or his behavior, something he does. Some of the characteristics are descriptive of him as a person. And some of the characteristics that you read are descriptive of his empire. And may I say to you, you cannot separate the two. I have read many a commentator, some of them with famous names, and they try to compartmentalize. They try to say, well, okay, these are characteristics of the, of the Antichrist. These are characteristics of his kingdom. I'm telling you, you can't separate them any more than you can separate conjoined twins at the brain. They are not separable. Of course, I say that, and Dr. Carter did it. You know, so, uh, but you understand what I'm saying. You can't separate these in the Bible because many times things are said about his kingdom and sometimes things are said about him. They're one and the same because he is the empire and the empire is him. Now let's look at the biblical anatomy of a coming monster. He rises up out of the sea. What does that mean? Well, look at Revelation chapter 17, verse 15. Let the Bible speak for itself. The Bible tells you what the water is. All you got to do is look, and it tells you what the waters are. What, are the, what is the sea? What does the water stand for? Chapter number 17, 
Look at verse number 15. By the way, don't lose chapter 17. We're going to come back to that in just a little bit. Look at verse number 15. He said, And he saith unto me, The waters which thou sawest, where the whore sitteth, that's another vision of, or another explanation of something else that happened on the water. They, here's what they stand for. They are, here's what the waters are. They are what? Peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues. When it says the Antichrist beast rises up out of the sea, it means he's going to come from the people. So the chances of him being part of a royal family are not likely. He's going to come up from the people. Democracy. Demos means dirt. The Greek word demos, it refers to, to man or to people or to what we're made of. Dirt, clay. Democracy. It says it has seven heads. Well, this is we got we got to deal with this a little bit, okay? It's the G7, folks. We're there. And I don't care. You hear sometimes reporters mistakenly say the G20 or the G8. That is a reporter error. It is not the political situation. Some informed reporters will say it is the G7 plus 5. Or G7 plus 12. These seven nations make up the G7. But there's also something else. In chapter 17, I want you to see it again. We're going to look at this verse. Chapter 17, now verses 7 through 11. Look at this. Here's what it says. And the beast that thou sawest, and is not, and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit and go into perdition, they that dwell on the earth shall wonder whose names are not written in the book. In other words, the unsaved are going to hold this guy in awe. They're not, their name is not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world. When they behold the beast that was and is not and yet is, in other words, nothing can stop him or destroy him, here is the mind which hath wisdom, the seven heads which are seven mountains on which the woman sitteth. And there are seven kings. Now get this. There are seven kings. Remember when John wrote this, 96 A.D. If it's not in your Bible, write it in your Bible. He wrote this in 96 A.D., he said, there are seven kings. What does he say about five of them? What's the very next phrase? Five are fallen. Egypt ruled the world and was gone. Assyria ruled the world and was gone. Babylon ruled the world and was gone. Persia ruled the world and was gone. Greece ruled the world and was gone. Notice what it says. Five are fallen and one, what? is what nation ruled the world at the time of John? The Roman Empire, number six. Now notice, let's read on. And the other is not yet come. This is the Holy Roman Empire that's going to morph. Actually, the Roman Empire morphed into the Holy Roman Empire. It says, the other is not yet come, but when he cometh, he must continue for a short space. And the beast which was the one that ascended out of the sea, that was and is not, even he is the eighth, the new world order. God is telling John what's coming. Seven heads, seven heads. And he is a conglomeration of the first seven heads that came before him having great economic power. It says he has ten horns. Now the horn 
is that part of an animal by which he can inflict damage on you? Anyone doubt that? Okay. Brother Kiever, any doubts about that when you were riding them guys? No, no doubts? You don't want to mess around with them horns, huh? Horses are safer. I've never seen a horse with a horn. What about unicorns? Sorry. That is the way, and you know what that stands for? It has seven heads and ten horns. The head is the thinking part. It's the part that develops plans, strategies, agendas. It's the thinking part. The horn is the military powers. It's the ones that can deliver the military blows if necessary. So when this great one world empire comes, it's going to have seven thinking parts that are calling the shots, the seven heads, but it's going to have ten military powers that it is able to employ to inflict damage on anyone that doesn't succumb to its will. The horn is what causes damage. It's going to have great military power. And if you don't think a horn can cause damage, let's ask this matador, okay? Anyone want to trade places with him at this moment? Now, I'll give you the footnote. He's not dead, okay? But he has a new puncture he never had before. And it, the footnote of it is this matador did retire. He is no longer a matador. Ten crowns just speaks of his rule. The crown is a symbol. David was king whether he wore a crown or not. The crown, Queen Elizabeth doesn't wear a crown all the time. Can you imagine getting up in the morning? Oh, my crown moved in the night. She don't wear a crown. It sits in a glass box. It's a symbol of power. So he is going to have great political authority. It says he is going to have the name blasphemy. John chapter number 10, Jesus asked him one time, uh, for what good were they picked up rocks to stone Jesus to death? And Jesus said, what good work do you stone me? And they said, not for a good work. We stone thee not for a good work. But that thou, here's what they are accusing him of, thou being a man makest thyself God. You see, to them, anybody that claims to be God in the flesh is committing blasphemy. When Adolf Hitler came to power, our glorious New York Times said in an article that Hitler was godlike. And the great newspaper in Germany, Deutsche Zeitung, said as a headline, Der Deutschen Gott, Der Deutschen Gott, our German God, with a picture of Adolf beside it. He's going to demand worship as a God. The Bible says in 2 Thessalonians, he's going to sit in the temple of God, showing the world that he is God. He's a leopard, bear, lion, mixed. We just read that. These are the beasts that came up out of the sea in Daniel chapter number 7. And it's a composite, a mixture of all kingdoms. Sound familiar? It's a body that is a mixture of kingdoms of different types of government. The dragon gave him his power. You ever watch the Tolkien series, Lord of the Rings? You ever see that? How many have seen that? Okay, a few of you, if you haven't. It was religious, by the way. Do you know all the different people groups in that movie stand for different religious denominations? 
You know Tolkien writ that, wrote that whole thing from a religious standpoint. And you know the final battle is Armageddon, when good triumphs over evil. And Gandalf is a picture of the Holy Spirit. Hey, there's a lot of stuff that people do not understand about the Tolkien books that he wrote. His theology isn't Baptist theology, but he definitely wrote from a religious standpoint. In that series, there is this eye of Sauron. It's that eye that's always looking. He is Satan in the movies. And he is the controlling power behind many villains in the movie. And the four biggest villains in the series of movies is Morgoth and the Nazgul and Saruman and Azog. And he, Sauron, controls them all in this series the same way that Satan is going to control the Antichrist. And then it says he has a mouth speaking great things, great things. He's going to be able to unravel mysteries. He's going to tell everybody what the UFO thing's all about. He's going to, everybody's just going to say, I knew it. He's wonderful. I love this guy. How many of you ever remember when the Beatles played for Ed Sullivan? Anybody old enough in here to remember that? And Ed Sullivan was standing over his head. We are glad to have us with that, that rock group from England, the Beatles. She loves you, yeah, yeah, yeah. And on the front row, the cameras showed, and the girls were going, oh, 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 oh. <laughs> I'm serious, man. They were just passing out. But that same kind of adoration is going to happen when Antichrist comes. This guy, four years after he was elected Chancellor of Germany, had 95 million people that were ready to march into the mouth of hell for him. And Antichrist is going to have that same influence and power over the world. He deceiveth all, small and great, rich or poor, free and bond. He's going to be eloquently deceitful. Now listen, over the many millennia, the devil has tried to conquer the world. He's done it, tried many times. Every single one of these nations coming up have tried to conquer their known world at the time. Samaria, Egypt, Assyria, Chaldea, which is the Babylonians, Anatolia, which is Turkey or the Ottomans, Persia, Greece, Mongolia, Italy, Arabia, Spain, Britain, France, Germany, Japan, and Russia. Every one of them have tried. From ancient times to the present, they've all tried. But the devil realizes he can't do it through war. He's tried too many times and it's failed. But he knows that what I cannot accomplish through war, I believe I can accomplish through peace. So he has taken a new tack. I am going to use peace. Let's look up a couple of these verses, okay? Go to Jeremiah. Let's look at Jeremiah chapter 8, verse 11. Let me have a volunteer reader. Will someone read Jeremiah 8.11 and I need someone else that will read Daniel? Well, we'll read it together. We'll read Daniel together, okay? But uh, give me a Jeremiah 8.11. Who, who do I have? Okay, right over here. All right, you ready to go? Okay, let's hear it, Anna. Nice and loud. Yeah. 
peace, peace, when there is no peace. Go to the book of Daniel now. Just turn up a few more pages, go back to the book of Daniel. Look at chapter number 8. Speaking of the Antichrist, it says in verses 24 and 5, His power, Antichrist's power, shall be mighty, but not by his own power. In other words, he's controlled by something more powerful than himself. And he shall destroy wonderfully. He's going to do it in such a way that people are going to willingly allow him to do it. And he shall prosper and practice. Nothing's going to stop him. And shall destroy the mighty and holy people, the Jews. And through his policy, he shall cause craft, trade unions, to prosper in his hand. He shall magnify himself in his heart. And by peace shall what? Destroy many. This is the white horse that rode last night. He shall also stand up against the prince of princes. Guess who that is? That's Jesus. And when he does, it says, he shall be broken without hand. In other words, Jesus isn't even going to have to lift a hand. He's just going to speak and Antichrist will be destroyed. He can do it through peace. East and West. East and West powers. These two are going to be the catalyst. These are the foundation. These two empires are the foundation for what's coming. The great rule of the Antichrist. In fact, in Daniel's image, he started out with Babylon, head of gold, and then Persia, and then came Greece, and then came the, the iron legs of Rome. And Rome split into two parts, an East part and a West part. The Byzantine Empire and the Italian Empire. And that East-West split maintained and continued all the way till today. And now you have this section of ten toes made part of clay, demos, man, democracy, and still of iron, totalitarianism, communism, Bernie. Bernie. Oh, I'd slip that out there. Hey, let me tell you something. When Mr. Carvel calls you a communist, you must be a communist, okay? Anyway, that's another thing. That, now back to our regularly scheduled programming. This is the UN Security Council. The men and women that are seated around that table are part of iron, totalitarian governments, and part of clay, democracies. And by the way, have you ever looked at the shape of this? Let me drop a little hint on you, and this isn't by accident. Have you looked at it? Have you ever turned the power button on on your VCR or your television or your remote? Do you know where they came up with the shape of that power button? Let me tell you, this is an ancient symbol, folks, for power. It's the open circle with the line coming down. And that's why it's designed the way it is. Now, let's take a look at another passage of Scripture. I want you to see this verse in the book of Revelation, chapter 15. Or 17, I'm sorry. Revelation 17. And man, we just... My clock, the clock is my enemy. All right, let's read the verse first. Okay, chapter 17, verse number 13, speaking of those kings, those, those kings that are present with him. And it says in verse 13, uh, let, me, let me read verse number 12 first. It says, And the ten horns which thou sawest are ten kings, which have received no kingdom yet, but received power as kings one hour with the beast. In other words, a very short period of time. These have, these, these, these kings, these ten kings, they have one mind, and shall give their power and strength unto the beast. Now look at what that means. Let's look at that verse here again and break it down now. 
thinking caps on. These, the kingdoms and nations, have one mind. In other words, they agree together, they work together. And they shall give their power, that is, their consent and their authority. And their strength, military capabilities, unto the beast, the Antichrist. The one world government, the new world order. Now, I'm going to recommend six books. If you want to learn more about the New World Order, you should read these six books, okay? And they will bless your heart, okay? Well, they maybe won't. I don't know. It's, they, some of the material in it is kind of scary stuff. All three of these are the same title. They're all called the New World Order, H.G. Uh, Wells and Ralph Epperson. And the one by uh, Sam up there, Sam Batten, is also very, very good. Now, some of their stuff is obsolete because some of these books were written quite a long time ago and a lot of new things have happened since they wrote them. But it will at least give you a, a, uh, a primer to understanding. Uh, three more modern books that get into more of the minutiae and detail of the New World Order are The Rise of the New World Order by uh, Michael Hayes and The New World Order, A Strategy for Imperialism by Sean Stone and The New World Order, Its Impact on Culture and Civilization by Mark Pointer. You should get these books and read them if you want to understand what's going on. Put in its simplest terms, the new world order will find its fulfillment when all nations recognize, as, or recognize themselves as sub-states within the global community. Can I tell you why that's Donald Trump has set everybody back and made them so mad? Because he is what we call... And by the way, nationalist is not a bad word. I want to thump somebody when they do that. You know, let me give you a synonym for nationalist. It's called a patriot. Amen. Remember that old song by, by uh, Merle Haggard? When you're running down my countryman, you're walking on the fighting side of me. You're walking on the fighting side of me. You never heard that? Google it. Google it. Go to iTunes. Well, on the other hand, they may not want you listening to patriotic songs. I don't know. But they want the United States to see itself as a state within the global community. It's a small world after all. It's a small world. Okay, all right. Most people think the, the phrase New World Order was first used by George H.W. Bush. He used it in his State of the Union address. And he said... They think that he was the first one to advocate the rise of the New World Order, but he wasn't the first. It would shock most people to know how many have supported it. Guess who really want one world government? And I'm just going to show you an abbreviated list. There's at least five times this number of powerful names that want New World Order or have written about wanting a New World Order, a one world government. Everyone listed below has spoken in speeches or written in favor of the New World Order. Adam Weishaupt, the founder of the Illuminati. By the way, at the bottom of the pyramid on the back of your money, you know the pyramid on the back of your $1 bill, that's 1776. That is not the founding of America. That 1776 stands for the founding of the Illuminati. And that is why the words that are on there that say Novus Ordum Seclorum. New Secular World Order. This isn't new. 
They want the United States to be a catalyst of it. And then Albert Pike, the founder of the Masonic Lodges, Brigham Young, Woodrow Wilson, Franklin Roosevelt, Jacob Rothschild. The Rothschild family is the richest in the world. You know, they talk about Gates with all of his money, and George Soros has billions of dollars. Yeah, I can tell you a guy who has $450 trillion. And that's the Rothschild family. They literally, and I'm not kidding, own every airline in the world. They own and control every airline in the world. And they started an organization I'll tell you about in a moment. John Dulles, Henry Ford, Cecil Rhodes. Have you ever heard of the Rhodes Scholar? Do you know you cannot be awarded the Rhodes Scholar? that is funded by his estate, you cannot be awarded it unless something you're going to do or the track you're taking is something that is going to further the agenda of globalism. You will not receive the Rhodes Scholar. Bertrand Russell, George H.W. Bush, J.P. Morgan, Andrew Carnegie, David Rockefeller, Harry Truman, Pope John Paul II, Richard Nixon, Alan Greenspan, Henry Kissinger, Robert Iger, the leader of Disney Corporation worldwide, Jimmy Carter, George Bush, John Lennon, Colin Powell, George Soros, Bill and Hillary, Pope Francis, Dick Cheney, Barack Obama, Bill Gates, Steven Spielberg, Ted Turner. Do you know the, why there are so many big mergers going on in this country, folks? Because they want fewer faces sitting at the table when it's time to make these decisions. If they have a super company that controls 5,000 different small companies, they only have to talk to one person to get decisions made. That's why super mergers are going on globally. As well as the National Education Association, the teachers union for public school teachers, and the Association of College Unions International. Meanwhile, these organizations are responsible for flooding our school classrooms and our colleges with deep anti-America hating bias. And that's how you get guys like this. And groups like Antifa saying America is fascist. No, we fought fascism. We stopped it on the beaches of Normandy. We stopped it on the beaches of Tarawa. These people don't even know what they're talking about. They wouldn't know true fascism if it bit them. Anti-American behavior has not only become a common expression today, it's turned violent. It's becoming acceptable to a younger generation to attack, malign, and disrespect our country. Down with the Constitution of the United States. Give us a new government, a new world order. That's their mantra. God help us what we're about to march into. Now how will this false Messiah be able to control the whole world? Well, these three liberty-hating, anti-freedom, fascist, socialist books have rightly described nine things Nine things that must be controlled if you're going to seize power and hold it. By the way, all these books are evil. By the way, Barack Obama said that was his Bible in a speech. He said the rules for radicals is his political Bible. Nine things have to be controlled. Here are all nine of them. And I've labeled them. And all my labels start with the letter M. Money. 
You have to control money. You have to control minds. You have to control the media. You have to control movement of people. You know why they want you to have an electric car? Not because there's no gas. They want you to have an electric car so you can only go 200 miles. They don't want you being able to jump in a car or truck and drive 700 miles. I like them big trucks that got double tanks. You can really haul a long ways, amen? Medicine. Ronald Reagan said, when tyranny comes to America, it'll come through the back door of health care. The marketplace, groceries, big box stores, the military, the mail, snail mail or email, and manufacturing. Those are the nine things that have to be controlled if you want to seize and hold power in any nation. And all three of those books talked about it. Das Kapital, Mein Kampf, and Rules for Radicals. Because they know it. Because they're all cut from the same satanic cloth. This is the group founded by the Rothschilds. It's called the Bilderberg Group. And it is today the coordinating authority for the coming, coming global world empire. It literally pulls the strings on every single organization that you see here. Scary stuff. And by the way, look over here in the center right. You see where it says that Greek word oikomene? With the cross and the little sea waves? That is the International Council of Churches, the National Council of Churches, the State Council of Churches. Folks, I'm just, I'm just telling you, this is going on right now before our very eyes. And most people are oblivious that it's happening. This group meets once a month in a top secret location. And the highest power, most powerful people in the world go to these meetings. Satan has always wanted to rule the world. Go to Isaiah chapter 14. He's always wanted to rule the world. We're getting near the end. And by the way, they say... Uh, they say that... Uh, Pay no attention when a preacher says in conclusion. Amen? <laughs> Satan has wanted to rule the world. In fact, when he fell from his covering position, this is what he said. This, this, is, this is his words. This is what he, how he feels. Look at chapter, uh, verses 12 through 15. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground which did weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thy heart, and by the way, if you don't have them underlined in your Bible, you should. They're the five I wills. He said, I will rule over five things. Each one he pre prefaced with the word I will. I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the count of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Well, what does it mean I will ascend in heaven? I'm going to rule over the angels. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. Or that's above the angels. When it says I will rule, I will ascend into heaven, means he's going to rule over the earth. When he says I'm going to exalt my throne above the stars of God, that's the angels. I will sit in the mount of the congregation. I'm going to rule over Israel. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. He's going to rule over the entire world. And he says I will be like the most high. I'm going to rule over God himself. This is what's in his heart and mind. He's always wanted to rule. When we went down to Woolarock, you can go visit Woolarock. Anyone in here been to Woolarock and seen the stuff, the Indian museums and stuff? Pretty nice. They got a couple of chairs like this. And they let you sit in them. They're, and they're made out of cow horns. 
and such. And, and uh, Tammy, Isaac's mom, sat down in it. We got a picture. And Grant sat down. We got a picture. And Tracy, we said, Tracy, sit down. We'll get a picture. She said, I am not sitting in the devil's chair. <laughs> and we could not get a picture of Tracy in that chair. She was not going to sit in the devil's chair. Remember when Jesus was taken to a high mountain and Satan, the Bible says, the devil showeth him all the kingdoms of the world and the riches thereof. And then what did Satan say? As if they're his. All these things will I give thee if thou wilt what? Fall down and worship me. And God answered him, Jesus answered him with the word of God. Get thee behind me, Satan, for it is written, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God and him only shalt thou serve. United Earth, New World Order. Honestly, the devil has worked for thousands of years to try to establish a one world kingdom with his one world ruler, his Antichrist. Yet it will survive when it is finally comes to pass. It's going to survive fewer years than any other empire that's ever been on the face of the earth. It's going to have a lifespan of maybe, maybe eight, nine years tops and then be destroyed. It's going to be had in derision by the Lord. Turn to the book of Psalm, chapter number 2. This is what God says He's going to do when He gets them at Armageddon. Look at verses 1 through 5. Why do the heathen, that Hebrew word means Gentiles, why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? That is like they can overthrow God or the Son of God. The kings of the earth set themselves. That means they, they join together in, in, a, in, a, in a political or a military conglomerate. And the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, the Son of God, saying, let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. He that sitteth in the heavens shall what? Yeah. The Lord shall have them in derision. That means in absolute chaos. Then shall, then shall he speak unto them in his wrath and vex them in his sore displeasure. They're not going to win. We're on the winning team. In 2 Thessalonians, we'll not take time to look it up. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, there is valuable insight given about Antichrist and connected signs with his coming. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, the Paul, Apostle Paul's interest in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 is not the Antichrist's identity, but rather his attributes, characteristics of him. So he gives us signs before he gets here, and then he tells us some signs after. He gives us three characteristics of things that are going to happen before he is revealed, and then he lists nine attributes of his character after he is revealed in 2 Thessalonians chapter number 2. Before Antichrist comes, he lists three things. Number one, there is going to be a spiritual deterioration in faith. Jesus said this, when I return, will I find faith in the earth? Will people even care anymore? Man, I'm telling you, I, I, I scolded my church sometimes, and I know sometimes I scold a little wrong, and my wife usually gives me the correction I got coming to me on the way home. But uh, 
I get up there and I say, I can remember going to Lanaquila Baptist Church when I was in the U.S. Army in 1974, and we had a four-night meeting with an evangelist like Dr. Jack Baskin, and I can remember Lanaquila Baptist Church with no air conditioning, steel folding chairs, nothing to stop the mosquitoes from coming in and biting you, and that auditorium that will seat 325 was packed every single night. I had an evangelist come over about two years before I left, and it was so embarrassing by the second night that I made up my mind I would never do that again. God's people have gone busy. Now, I understand, I try to be understand, in Hawaii especially, man, a lot of families, they work two, three jobs. I get that. But there's a coldness coming over the earth, Lord, and over your children, and I want it to go away. I want revival in God's people. If God's people would get in fire, I mean, I can remember a great old preacher, B.R. Lakin, saying, if preachers would just get on fire, folks would come to watch him burn. <laughs> I mean, deterioration of spiritual faith. Then Paul says there's going to be an unchristlike or an unchristian religious society. In other words, they're going to hate Christianity and believers. We're there, folks. We're there. And the third thing Paul gives in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 is there's going to come a removal of the resistors. And the removal of the resistors is known as the rapture. And the Bible says they're going to be taken out of the way. And the Greek phrase that he uses is ekmesugenetai. And ekmesugenetai means to be lifted out or to be removed from among. And it literally gives the implication of being removed in an upward direction. And then shall that wicked be revealed whom the Lord shall destroy with his mouth and the brightness of his coming. Then, during his rule, the Apostle Paul gives nine characteristics about Antichrist. It's, he, first, he's going to be unveiled, just like when they pull the silk covering over the Ferrari and uh, show it, or Lamborghini, or whatever that thing is. Okay, I can tell you what it is. It's a lot of money that God could use in the ministry. Amen? I'm going to tell you that's what it is. You want to know something that makes me mad? I'm, I'll get back to our regular scheduled programming. Mr. Bloomberg quit. He did that today. Did you hear that? Yeah. He spent a half a billion dollars on his TV ads. Do you know what we could do with a half a billion dollars? For the cause of Christ? And he spent it for nothing. I hate to, I'd hate to be in their shoes when they have to face God. The things that they've spent their money on. Antichrist is going to impose his own form of worship. He sits in the temple of God, showing the world that he is God. He's going to be self-aggrandizing. It's all about me, 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 I, I, I. A lot of great leaders have been like that. He's going to occupy and defile the temple. He's going to allow the Jews for the seven-year treaty. He's going to allow them to rebuild their temple. Now, how can you go in and occupy and defile a temple that hasn't been built? And how can the Jews build it if the mosque of Omar, the Dome of the Rock, is sitting on the spot? That's why World War III has to happen so that the Arabs can be destroyed, so the Jews can tear that cotton-picking thing down and they can build their temple. But when Karen and I went over to Israel on the tour, our tour guide, Yael, 
I asked her once, I was witnessing to her constantly, and I asked Yael, I said, how will you recognize your Messiah when he comes? And this was her answer. He will let us rebuild our temple. And I thought, oh, girl, you are missing it. Because the false Messiah is going to let you rebuild your temple. But then he's going to defile the temple. He's going to behave as if you were a god. Because by that time, Satan will have possessed him. He will truly be a servant of Satan, Paul says, in, chapter, or in verse 9, the beginning of verse number 9 of chapter 2. It says he's going to have the power to do miracles. I mean, I can remember Catherine Kuhlman. Is there enough people in here to go back to Catherine? She had a rally in Hawaii, 25,000 people attended. And she said, somebody over here is having stomach problems. Well, how many people are under those hands? There's got to be at least, what, six, 7,000 people? Somebody's going to have stomach problems. Oh, man. The mother of one of my deacons went to uh, uh, Benny, Hinn concert, or Benny Hinn rally and uh, supposedly got her knees healed. He went over to visit his mom three days later, and she was taking pain pills. And he said, what are you doing, Mom? He said, well, I'm taking pills for my knees. He said, I thought you got healed by Benny Hinn. Why are you doing that? One of my trustees, Charles Johnson, used to work for Benny Hinn. And when he was at, with him in his meeting in Columbus, Ohio, Benny Hinn took up an offering on Monday night, and it was only $300,000. And he was furious. And behind closed doors, Benny Hinn told the crew, we will never come back to Columbus, Ohio again. Folks, I'm just telling you, there is going to be false prophets and false miracles. You just got to watch it. Not everybody that can do miracles. Satan himself could do miracles. He will be a convincing speaker, very eloquent. He will eloquently deceive people, verse number 11. And finally, he's going to be destroyed by the Lord Jesus Christ himself at Armageddon, Revelation 19 and verse number 20. And that terrible moment when Santa Christ is destroyed and the one world empire is completely crushed and the Chinese army of 200 million literally has the flesh ripped off their bodies and blood is running four feet deep for a space of 200 miles. The Bible says that terrible time is called the indignation in the book of Isaiah, the time of Jacob's trouble in Jeremiah, the 70th week of Daniel in the book of Daniel, the tribulation period in the gospel of Matthew, the perdition in 2 Thessalonians and Revelation, and the hour of temptation in Revelation chapter number 3. And let me say to you folks, you don't want to be there. You need Jesus Christ as your Savior. You need to find Him as Savior. The battle of Armageddon, what the battle of Armageddon is not. It is not the nuclear war that will take place between Israel, Russia, and a confederation of, of nations that step in. It is not going to be that. It's going to be called, that's going to be called the false Armageddon. It is not good versus evil like J.R.R. Tolkien said in his theology. It is not a rogue asteroid like Bruce Willis went up and blew up for everybody. Okay? And it is not Israel versus Islam. Islam's going to be crushed during World War III. And also, nor will it be the triumph of some great church. These four churches that I've shown you right up here, all four of them have said they are going to be the triumphant church. They are going to someday rule the world. 
In the upper left-hand corner, the Mormons. Upper right-hand corner, the Roman Catholics. Lower left-hand corner, the Jehovah's Witnesses. Lower right-hand corner, the Unification Church of Sun Young Moon. All four of them have said they are going to be the church that rules the world once good, uh, once good triumphs over evil. The Battle of Armageddon, what it really is, is the return of the true Messiah. And we shall rule and reign with him a thousand years. And he hath made us kings and priests. Now, I don't know if I'm going to be a mayor. I don't know if I'm going to be a city councilman. I know I'm part of the queen. When a woman marries a king, she becomes the, come on, queen. And the bride of Christ that marries the Lord Jesus Christ is going to rule with him as queen. Now, I don't know whether I'll be a mayor, a city councilman. I, 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 truth is, I don't care if I'm a pooper scooper. In the stable house of the horses of the Lord, it doesn't matter to me. I'm just the puppy behind the door. Let me in. Let me be a part of your massive empire. When Antichrist finally is destroyed and Jesus Christ comes back in Armageddon, this is what the world is going to be like. Billions of dead corpses, unburied. Waters are going to reek of rotting blood. Every fish is going to be dead. Cities will all be destroyed. Governments will be gone and there won't be a single plant, tree, or blade of grass left on this planet. That's what the Bible says. You don't need to share in that fate. You don't want to share in that fate. You don't want to be part of that. You need this guy. You need Christ. And listen to me, believer, if you're here tonight and you're saved, let me add to that. Christ needs you. You're his mouthpiece. You're his ambassador. You're his spokesperson. You need his grace, because I'll tell you, there's all of us, all of us. I mean, like the guy that said one time, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, I'm down to my last, I'm just, I'm down to my last nerve, and, uh, and I, I, I'm, I've only got one nerve left, and you are endangering that one. Yeah. Listen, there's all of us at times when we just feel like we're right to the end of our rope. Listen, that's when Jesus Christ holds you together. That's when Christ pulls you together. And not only that, others need you. You think your children aren't watching your testimony? My kids knew if they didn't have their homework done by Sunday night, that's tough, they're going to get F's when they go to school Monday. I will not stay home from the house of God so you can do some paper. Make your decision to serve Christ and put Him first in, the life, in your life, and I promise you, you will never, 10,000 years from now, you will not regret that decision you'll be proud that you put Christ first in your life. Are you prepared?